0: They are our eleven warriors. Yes, they are the eleven warriors—the most disciplined and the toughest damn dude Welcome to Real Pod Wednesdays, Dan Hope, joined by Andy Anders, who, if you missed last week's episode, is the new co-host of Real Pod Wednesdays back here this week for his second episode of RPW, as we are now only 10 days away from the start of the Ohio State football season. I know that that's music to the ears of a lot of our listeners out there, but Ohio State still doesn't have a starting quarterback, and Ohio State may not name a starting quarterback before the season, or at least not a permanent starting quarterback before the season, because when we talked to Ryan Day on Monday, it certainly sounds like he is uh, preparing for the possibility of playing multiple quarterbacks to start the season, has not made a final decision on that. They're going to see how it plays out this week, but certainly based on the way this thing has played out and the way Ryan Day talked on Monday, we had talked about it last week. We felt like This week was the time. If you look back at past quarterback battles under Ryan Day, this week would have been the time for him to come out and name a firm starting quarterback if he was going to do it. And he felt like he couldn't do that, says he thinks it's neck and neck right now and that both deserve to play. And so it does sound to me, Andy, like there's a very good chance we are going to see both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown take significant snaps of a first team offense in that season opener at Indiana.
1: Yeah, um and you know it's it's you usually you know you have those reservations certainly about them rolling two quarterbacks in there. I put the odds of, you know, I think I said this on our press coverage, you know, our new YouTube show after uh, press conferences this yesterday, but you know, I think probably put the odds at uh, greater than 50 percent that Ohio State is going to play both against Indiana. I mean, both were probably going to play anyway. It was probably going to be a blowout. But yeah, it, you know, both are going to roll in with the ones. You start to, you know, think about, OK, well, when does this team need to have a quarterback one named by? You obviously want one as early as possible. And I think Day said, you know, Day has always said things to that effect. But Neither have separated. And I think that was if, you know, if it gives any indication, you know, uh, Ryan said he took a poll of the staffers, a little straw poll, and it was split pretty close to even, he said almost even. So it's it's just a race that still has yet to pan out, really, like one guy emerge ahead of the other. And, it, it, you know, it feels like a pretty good, you know, more likely than not that there this is still going to continue into week one.
0: Now, I think the good news that for Ohio State fans, if if you listen to that press conference, is Ryan Day did seem a lot more upbeat when talking about quarterbacks than he did a week ago. A week ago, the tone was more neither of these guys has been consistent enough for them to be the starter yet. It, you know, you got the impression, that the first scrimmage maybe didn't go very well for, for quarterbacks. This this week, he said that both quarterbacks were champions in the scrimmage on Saturday, and it was more of a Sounded like it was less about we're not sure if either guys is good enough to be a starter, and more of a we think both of them are good enough to be a starter. We just don't know which one is better. And so, I mean, that's, that's the good news because if that is the truth, if Ohio State has two quarterbacks who are both really good, then like that would be an ideal scenario because you know, you never know what's going to happen over the course of a season. You're certainly going to feel a lot better about your depth if ultimately you feel like you have two quarterbacks who are legitimate starting caliber. Ohio State quarterbacks. And at least if we just take Ryan Day's words at face value, that that seems to be the case right now. Of, of course, you, you still need to have one guy that you know you can really rely on. And I think they're still not sure which guy is that guy yet. And I think you know now it's at that point where they feel like we might need to see these guys play in actual games before we can really determine. Who that starting quarterback is, and uh, and the good news is we've talked about this before. Is Ohio State? Yes, they start with a road game on the Big Ten, but it's a team that's supposed to be one of the worst teams of the Big Ten. Ohio State is going to be heavily favored to beat Indiana. Ohio State is certainly going to be an overwhelming favorite to beat Youngstown State. Western Kentucky's a little better than Youngstown State, but it's still a team that Ohio State should. It's, at least on the offensive side of ball, like, I, Western Kentucky's offense is pretty good. They're going to give the defense a little bit of a challenge, but I don't think Western Kentucky's defense is going to be a match for either of these quarterbacks. So I think Ohio State legitimately has three games that it can afford to experiment a little bit with these quarterbacks. I do think that by you time, by the time you get to that Week Four game against Notre Dame, you do need to have one guy that you feel really good about because I don't think when you get into the games that are going to be really competitive and down to the fourth quarter, you don't want to be in a situation of where you're, you're, you're over there on the sideline deciding who you're going to put in at quarterback. So I think to me, I I feel like if that's the route they need to take, if you need to take it into the season, you've got up to three weeks to kind of experiment. And then I think going into that fourth game at South Bend, you you need to have a clear idea. And And I think they likely will, because I think, you know, if you if you play these guys in two or three games and you see them in game action, most likely one guy is going to do better than the other. And if that happens, then that guy's ultimately going to emerge as the starting quarterback.
1: Yes. Uh, well, I think one area, though, of course, you, you still want to have is you, you still want the quarterback to emerge as soon as possible. Right. It, it's important for the chemistry of the offense. It's important for command of the huddle. It's important for a lot of things you'd like to. I think you'd like to know coming out of Indiana kind of at the latest for those reasons, at least just from my perspective, because like you've got so much that goes on with calls at the line in terms of pass protection you've got so many checks and things that you have to know and gain this familiarity with in this offense and build that chemistry with the receivers the weapons uh so i I think for me you definitely you don't want to take too long solving this because if it's if you take until the week before the notre dame game to finally name quarterback one who's who's the starter who's the guy then you, you might run into some of those issues against the Fighting Irish of you know not having the offense as in rhythm as it could be if you have the guy named by the end of Indiana week or or before that. It's likely we're likely looking at at the earliest after Indiana though. They didn't rule rule out that it could be solved before then. Um, that a guy could emerge this week and take the mantle, but once you know this is this is the last week and once game week prep for indiana starts you have that concrete plan and if neither guy's qb1 then the plan will certainly be to roll two quarterbacks so I, i i just i would push back a little bit on um they have three weeks to figure this out just because of those reasons i think you want to really start developing a rhythm with the offense um before the notre dame game right have Western Kentucky, maybe Youngstown State, as well as tune-up games for whoever takes finally does take the lead as the number one quarterback for this team.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point that you know maybe it's not three weeks, maybe it's two weeks or one week, but you really have to because because you're right. I think if you if you continue to bounce back and forth for the first three weeks, then you go into that Notre Dame going okay, like are we sure this guy can really? Operate at full capacity as the starting quarterback for four, four quarters. And so, you know, I mean, that's going to, I mean, the one thing I'd say is like, that's going to be a question regardless, like no matter how this all plays out over the next month here, we're going to go into that Notre Dame game with questions about this quarterback. That's just the reality because the three teams they play at the start of a schedule are not teams that have defenses that are going to be capable of matching up with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and Cade Stover and Julian Fleming and Carnell Tate and Travion Henderson and whoever else you, you, you want to throw there. I mean, there's not going to be many defenses in the country that can do that, but Notre Dame is going to be the first one they play that's going to have some capability of doing that. And so I think regardless of how this plays out, there's going to be questions going into that Notre Dame game. But you're right that the sooner that they can settle in on one guy and start establishing that rhythm, but better, which is why, I mean, Ryan Day said all along, he wanted to name a quarterback as quickly as possible, but it's clear now that, you know, he, he realizes that, or, you know, maybe realize the wrong word, but he's come to the conclusion that, you know, if one of these guys does not clearly emerge over the over over the next week, we've got to give both of them a chance to play.
1: Yeah, no. And I think that's the stance you've got to take here. You're still trying. You still don't know who gives you the best chance to win. Right. With certainty. And I think uh, pointing to the, you know, it being a more of a staff uh, perspective that, you know, the staff is divided on it as a whole kind of sheds more light on that as, you know, as I sort of referenced earlier. Um, But how confident are we, Dan, you know, based off what we've seen based on, you know, obviously, Dave's comments and uh, what. I guess, what's your level of concern right now that it is truly, hey, both these guys are good options, can't decide between them for that reason, or do you, are you concerned that both of them have a lot of um, maybe limitations that we're not hearing that uh, could could impact this team?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say limitations. I mean, I think there's definitely the concern of... our are either of these guys going to be able to play to that C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins standard? And I think, you know, that's a question we would have regardless. I think, you know, if one of those guys was ready to play at that level, I think they would have emerged by now. So I think that's where, you know, the concern comes in is that, you know, if you're talking about having one of the best elite offenses in the country and you're looking for a quarterback to operate at that level, you would think, That if a quarterback was playing at that level, they would have emerged by now. Now, you know, with that being said, I I think it's worth pointing out that other teams have done this and had success with it in recent years. I know that you know for Ohio State fans, everybody goes back to the the Cardale Jones, J.T. Barrett battle in 2015, and reasonably so because you know as you wrote about last week, Andy, that's the last time. That Ohio State has been in this situation where a battle has truly dragged on into the season, and it didn't go well. So, it's absolutely a valid concern. And I think, you know, as we talked about before, like you you can't do a two QB system all season like that never works. But there have been several recent examples of teams letting a quarterback battle play out into the season, and it ultimately working out for them. One would be Michigan last year that they went into the season, they said. They said, actually said before the season, they said Cade McNamara, Cade McNamara is going to start the first game. J.J. McCarthy is going to start the second game. We'll decide how it goes from there. J.J. ultimately emerged as a better quarterback, and he ends up leading them to their second straight Big Ten title. That worked out. Another one I, I, I think of that jumps to mind for me is Clemson back in 2018. They had an incumbent starter, Kelly Bryant. They let Trevor Lawrence, their true freshman, compete for the job. Ultimately, uh, that plays out for about a month. Trevor Lawrence emerges as a starter, hands up leading him to a national championship. So there are examples of this working out. If if it's handled correctly, and if you don't let it drag on too long, you know, this, this does allow for the opportunity for the more, the better quarterback to ultimately emerge through game action. And, I personally think because you look at those examples, you, know, you could also look at other examples like Ryan Day mentioned the Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa example. That's not quite an analogous example because Jalen Hurts started all year and then Tua replaced him at halftime of the national championship game. That worked out for Alabama. But that's not what Ohio State is looking for to happen here. So that's a little bit different. But the one thing that has usually happened in these examples, I mean, another example would be Texas last year. Hudson Card began the year to start and Quinn ended up emerging to start. You, you see it happen a lot. Typically, these battles when they go into the season tend to favor a younger, less experienced quarterback ultimately emerging over time, and that being a reason why maybe they didn't emerge beforehand. Now, you know this isn't an incumbent quarterback situation, but I do think we talked about it all off season of Kyle kind of having that leg up in terms of experience but the fact that he has not yet emerged as the starting quarterback does lead me to believe that it's perhaps more likely that devin brown ultimately emerges as ohio state's starting quarterback here at some point this year i'm not sure you agree with me andy (laughs) <laughs> but that, my my like if I have to predict right now, like who would be the starting quarterback against Notre Dame right now? I would put, I would predict Devin Brown. What about you? So
1: I've you know, I've been on the Kyle McCord train all offseason, but uh, it's you know, when it's neck and neck like this, it's hard to tell. Um, I, fir- I do first want to say, you know. It, I agree with your point as far as, you know, there's people out there who would say if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. I don't, I don't agree on that point. Uh, you brought up great examples with Michigan and Clemson. Um, and I think, you know, this in general, that's kind of old, uh, football convention that doesn't really hold up. Um, when you, when you look at modern examples of that now, um, back to the original question, uh, who do I think ultimately wins this battle? Um, if you, if you put a gun to my head, I, I, I would still say McCord. I just, I don't know i I guess it's just something about the kid and I like his demeanor. I like his um he's got a cannon of an arm. he's uh you know a little that experience edge I don't think matters as much anymore that's that's one thing that I think is no longer working in his favor because of what you said it's it's the battle's gone on this long at this point it's kind of off the table they've both been taking reps with the ones all camp and really coming in McCord mostly handed the ball off in 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 his mop-up time last year he did have the start against Akron of course as a freshman which was good experience he did he was involved in the competition uh with Stroud as a freshman which was good experience with that but he didn't when he's actually played in games outside of that one Akron game, he hasn't thrown the ball much. He only, I think what, 20 passes last year. So, Um, so it's, it does feel like the longer this competition goes, it may favor Devin Brown. However, I don't think it's something that you can decisively say. um, Devin Brown is going to win it because it's drug out this long. I just think Day's approach to this whole process and the staffs has been to keep an open mind. It's let a guy win it. I don't care what you had coming into this year. I don't care, oh, you might have the higher ceiling in 2024. Who's gonna give us the best chance to win this year? We need to stay open about who that is. Who I think that ultimately is, I have a very I still have a very, very just like a hair lean toward McCord. would not shock me at all with Devin Brown. And I think the way Day's talked about it both recently, the way you know, the recruiting pedigrees of both track record of development. Um, I, I think I, Buckeye fans can be confident that the offense will be formidable with either under center, but I, you know, I still have that very slightly toward McCord.
0: Yeah. And I do agree with you, that like this competition is still open. Like at this point, like I know, you know, there's, there's some people out there may think, well, you know, well, he, he doesn't want to name a quarterback now just to try to, Keep Indiana off guard, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this is very much a real competition right now. That they it is still very much neck and neck. That either guy can win. I do not think that Ryan Day knows for sure right now who's going to take that first snap against Indiana. Now you know a week from now he is going to have to know that, even if it's you know Kyle's. And and I and I and I and I and I would say this. If it's still neck and neck a week from now, I would predict that Kyle McCord would take the first snap against Indiana because I think he he mentioned that he was asked, you know, the other day about he was about, you know, the youth versus experience there and how that factors in. And he did say if it's truly neck and neck, you would probably give the more experienced guy the first snap. And so I think if it's still neck and neck after this week, Kyle McCord will most likely be the starting quarterback against Indiana, but I would also expect in that case that Devin Brown would play early in the game and that whoever starts against Indiana does not necessarily mean that person will be starting against Notre Dame in three weeks. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, the question is, do you, how are you going to roll them? Of course, do, do you just alternate series do you do a couple a couple do you do by quarters like how do you do it um I, but yes i would ex- expect uh, kyle mccord to take the first snaps in that case just because of seniority and um it's you know someone has to take the first snap right if they're truly neck and neck you can't have both of them on the field at the same time that's not the nature of the position so
0: and, it, and as ryan day said the number one goal for the indiana game is you got to go over there and win so that's going to play into it too like I don't think you can go into the game saying, "Okay, we're going to alternate him every series and stick to that plan no matter what." Like, you know, you could put one of them in there and he struggles, and then you put the next guy in and he leads him to a touchdown on the first drive. You're probably going to keep riding the hot hand as long as he stays hot, so, or or vice versa. Maybe you put a guy in, he starts out well, you say, "Okay, we're going to give the every guy a shot," and then he struggles. Like at that point, you. you you definitely have to go in if you're going to do this you definitely have to go into that game with some flexibility of okay if one guy is doing better than the other you get you stick with that guy and go and go win the game and then if you take a blowout lead you can give the other guy more reps later but you know some of this is you know you, you're gonna have to be able to adjust in game and it's another you know i think that's one of the concerns that people are going to have is You know, it adds another variable of things you've got to manage in the game. If you're trying to manage a quarterback competition in the midst of a game, you know, that's just one more thing you've got to be thinking about between every offensive series. And so, uh, you know, you have to be careful with it. But I, I do think that if it's truly neck and neck, there is some logic in the idea of we need to see both of these guys play an actual game action. Before we lock in a starter because let's be real too. If, if, if if Ryan Day comes out next week and names a starting quarterback, if that guy struggles, doesn't matter which one, if that guy goes out there and struggles, the fans are going to be calling for the other guy. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I think, you know, if, if, if you can't go out there and say with conviction that one of these guys is better than the other, then one way or another over these first few games, you have to give both of them a chance to see what they can do so that you can make a more confident decision going into those bigger games where you have to make sure you have the best guy that gives you the best chance to go up there and win those games.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, It's just interesting to see how, you know, how you judge the reps if, you know, if one guy's playing in different sections of the game and uh, just how the competition unfolds and what, what, you know, it's not something we've seen from day before, like how, how does he handle a competition that runs into the season? Um, Now, and I know some people are tired of hearing us talk about the quarterback stand. So let's move on a little bit because we did get some clarity, but we didn't get clarity on who's going to be QB1. We did get some clarity that other key positions for this Ohio State team kind of wanted to start with a player that everyone's excited about. I know uh, kind of this Buckeye fan base really wants to see on the field this year. And we got some confirmation from Jim Knowles that he's going to have a big role in the defense this year. Uh, Dan, what did we find out about Sonny Styles this week?
0: Well, we found out that Sonny Styles is going to be a starter. Uh, Jim Knowles said that definitively when I asked him if, you know Sonny and Jahad Carter had solidified both starting safety roles, and he said, Sonny has. So it, it, it's clear that they are really excited about what they're seeing about seeing from Sonny Styles and that Sonny Styles is going to play a massive role on this Ohio State defense in in 2023 and it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like in terms of again as we've talked about before they're going to have to you know rotate a little bit there Are there going to be situations where they need to put either Kim Martinez in a corner there for more of a true slot corner but it sounds like the way Jim Knowles talked yesterday that you know Sonny Styles as the nickel safety is not going to look identical to Tanner McAllister as the nickel safety. I mean, that's yes. obvious. They have different body types, different skill sets. And I think Jim Knowles likes the fact that Sonny Styles, being a bigger body, being kind of a nickel slash Sam hybrid, he was calling it a strike position. I think he likes the fact that putting Sonny Styles in that position gives the defense some different attributes and some different versatility Versus playing a guy who was effectively a slot corner at that position. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: look Sonny's skill set. He's it's Knowles talked about it. It's his versatility. I think he could fit in at any of the three safety positions. Well, we thought Bandit might be his best, but the more Knowles explained what his role is going to be in that Sam, it make in that strike position. Sorry, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? He's a physical, hard hitting player. We saw it um, in some of the mop up duty he got last year. He. With a bigger body, they used in a creative role against Georgia. and uh, it's So it's good to have that kind of presence in the box, both for the run game and you definitely can do some creative blitz packages with him coming off the edge. But also, it's the range he has with that length, his size, allows him to play either man or zone coverage on those slot players. Because he can challenge balls, but he can still run with a guy. He's got great recovery speed. If you drop him into zone, he can play center field, he can ball hawk. There's just so many things that he can do as an athlete that if he acclimates well to that position and they don't put too much on his plate to where he can't just go out and play football because you want a guy playing free, playing fast, That's like that, right? So you you don't want to put too much on his plate, but there's so many different things you can do with him. If he gets that understanding and he's got the fundamentals of the position down, he could be a really exciting player for this defense this year.
0: Now the other thing that was very interesting about Jim Knowles' answer to that question is that he's indicated that jihad Carter has not locked down the starting free safety job and that's actually still a three-way competition between jihad carter josh proctor and i think the most interesting name he threw in there malik hartford a true freshman who we've heard a lot of good things about you know dating back to the spring he was one of the first guys in this class to lose his black stripe and then he's been talked up a lot by both jim Knowles and perry eliano over the course of preseason camps so Clearly, he is doing something right to put himself in the conversation for a starting spot this quickly.
1: Yes, I, I definitely. You know, um, I did in my previous role at uh, Buckeye Sports Bulletin. I did a lot of film breakdowns of recruits, um, and it, something that always that stood out to me about him on his film was his range and just his. Knack for being around the ball as a safety, uh, a true center fielder who could fly all over the place. You know, uh, kind of reminds you of Bob Sanders if you're uh, if you're you know a Colts fan. Maybe not a, maybe not you know he's he's not that that short, but uh, he is uh, he's a player that I'm not surprised has come in and kind of blow. Uh, played above his recruiting ranking, you know, in that one to two hundred range. Not a guy you necessarily expect to make an instant impact as a freshman at Ohio State, but a guy who is in the running to do so. Um, Jihad, interestingly enough, has not lost his black stripe yet, um, despite transferring in with a plenty with three years of starting experience from Syracuse. That's not necessarily a knock against Jihad. He's dealt with injuries both in the spring and now in fall uh jim knowles mentioned he's been banged up uh but it's it's you know he's been the starter there at some of the practices we've seen but he hasn't locked it down yet and you wonder how much of that is the health how much of that is you know is he truly a cut above hartford and josh proctor is still in the competition there you know knowles brought him up um as you know a sixth year senior who's always seems to be you know talked about as maybe this could be the breakout year but you no know, has never put that on the field except for a couple games in 2021 before he got hurt so the adjuster competition is very it's, it's open right now it's a very interesting one and of course when you talk about a safety driven defense that's the position that has to cover the most ground and it's, it's the field safety in the defense right so um that, that guy is the person that sets everything else up he's the last line of defense he's Covering a lot of space out there in center field, so I, I guess
0: what are you what are you seeing, and what what is your prediction for that competition, Dan? I would still lean toward Jihad Carter being the starter, but you know the fact that you know when I, when Jim Knowles was asked about that on day one, he seemed like pretty confident that like Jihad's the guy. When he was asked about it on Monday. It, it was definitely more wavering there. So I don't know what all to think about, you know, I mean, you know, Josh Proctor, like you said, the guy, I mean, he took the first team reps all spring, but I mean, he was on the first, on the days of practice that we were there, Malik Hartford was taking more reps with the second team defense than Josh Proctor. Josh Proctor was working mostly at the third team defense. And uh, you know, it, it is interesting that uh, you know, it, it seems, you know, another guy who, you know, at this time last year, we were talking about is Kai Stokes going to play as a true freshman. And he's not even in he isn't even in this conversation when Jim Knowles has been asked about it. So it's interesting. It seems like Malik Hartford has already surpassed Kai Stokes. He's maybe already surpassed Josh Proctor. And, and he's uh, very much in the mix for this starting free safety job. I, w- I would still lean toward if Jihad's healthy, him being the guy because he has those three years of starting experience. You know, Josh Proctor has a lot of experience. I think he has a lot of talent, but I think there's still that question of, is he really the guy they can trust as that last line of defense at that free safety spot? Uh, I do think that you know the, those four guys in some order along with Leif and Ransom, are gonna make up the two deep at safety. So if I like I'm gonna do a depth chart projection for the site later this week. like what would I have it as right now based on everything we've heard? I would have Jahad Carter, as the starting adjuster with Malik Hartford backing him up, and I would have Leif and Ransom as the starting bandit with Josh Proctor backing him up.
1: That sounds about right to me, although uh, Knowles has said before that the adjuster is uh, Proctor's better position when you're talking about making it to a That's You know, who who else is going to be the backup at Bandit, uh, especially after Court Williams both moves to linebacker and then he's out for the season. But, you know, a kind of transitioning here. The other position battles we got some clarity on this week are along, are along the offensive line. Josh Simmons, not Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> as uh, Dave pointed out at his press conference this week, uh, he wants to be called Josh, uh, except by his teammates, it seems like. So Josh Simmons at left tackle, Josh Fryer at right tackle. Um, it, those are the leaders right now. He was they seemed a little more firm in saying Simmons is the guy at left tackle than he did with Fryer at right tackle, but Fryer is the leader. It seems like he'll be, you know, we, we would expect him to be the starter against Indiana. Uh, and then the same with Carson Hinsman at Center. That's, so those are the three starting guys that uh, Day mentioned, but he did say that Vic Cutler is still pushing at center behind Hensman. And Luke Montgomery, has it seems now, has fully surpassed Shabola and uh at the right tackle spot and is a guy that Day said will play this year. So a lot to think about with those three new offensive line starters. What sticks out to you, Dan?
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think that they have mostly settled in on a front five at this point, with that being Josh Simmons, Donovan Jackson, Carson Hinsman, Matt Jones, and Josh Fryer from left to right. I think, you know, Simmons is clearly a guy who's impressed them a lot in preseason camp. And so uh, I think they definitely view him right now as the best option at left tackle. We'll see how that ultimately plays out when he gets on the field. But it certainly seems like based on what they've seen in camp, they think he is their best option at left tackle. Certainly, I mean, you have Josh Fryer a guy who has some actual game experience, including a start versus a true freshman at right tackle. And so uh, it's not surprising that Josh Fryer would be the guy they would look at at right tackle. But I still think, just based on the way he's talking about Luke Montgomery, that I think he almost wants to kind of send that message to Josh Fryer a little bit. Like, you got to perform. Because if not, like we're we're willing to look at Luke there, and so I I do think that you know Luke's a guy it's, I don't rule out the possibility that by the end of the year Luke Montgomery could end up being a starting offensive tackle for this Ohio State team. I think the hope certainly is that Josh Simmons and Josh Fryer are going to lock down both jobs and be solid, but it does seem like Luke Montgomery is a guy that if he keeps developing the way that they think he's developing right now. That if either of starters struggle, Luke might be the guy who gets the next look.
1: No, I agree with that. And it's a, you know, Day provided testament to just how far he's come as a freshman already. How he, you know, the thing he said, whatever you put Luke into Luke, you're going to get back. And said he will play this year. Now, what what does that look like? Well, um, certainly looks uh, like whenever the backups come on the field, he will be one of the tackles. Uh, it would, you know, one consideration that was thrown out there is do you use him in sort of a goal line short yardage tight end role as we've seen with Donovan Jackson and uh, last year Enoch Famahi and even Fryer a little bit. The So d- d- they indicated, yeah, they're confident with the tight end depth, but it's maybe something you consider just to get Luke on the field and some meaningful reps. So it gives you a reason to be excited for the future with Luke Montgomery, but you do hope that Josh Simmons and Josh Fryer um, lock down those starting tackle spots. And every week, it seems like the confidence grows in Josh Simmons in particular. Um, It's coaches, teammates, all of them rave about his athleticism. Uh, Day said he's got all the talent and all the ability uh, this week. And then it's just a matter of getting reps and experience for him uh, and refining those skills. So, I, I guess, what's your overall prognostication on the offensive line given what we've, you know, given those three, the three new guys and kind of we have a clear picture?
0: Well, it does seem like Ryan Day's confidence in that offensive line is growing by the week. It does seem like a, a position that I think was without a doubt. Coming out of the spring and even entering preseason camp was without a doubt the biggest concern that Ryan Day and his Ohio State coaching staff had. I, I think they are feeling genuine optimism about that group right now, I think a lot of that goes back to what you just said, but i think I think Josh Simmons has exceeded their expectations. I mean, this is a guy who came in again, he had seventeen penalties last year at San Diego State. He was a starter, but he wasn't a great starter. so I, I think you know the the feeling when he came in was, you know, this is a guy who could help us this year, but we're not sure. And I think what they've seen in camp has shown them that, Hey, we think this is a guy who can be really good this year. And so again, we have to see if that all comes out to fruition on the football field, but I think it does start there. I think, you know, putting Fryer back at the right tackle position where he's already shown he can play. I think that gives them more confidence. I still think, there's some questions about him as a pass protector, but I think he's shown he can be a really good run blocker at that spot, and he's got some experience there. So that helps. And, you know, Carson Hinsman's gotten a lot of, you know, positive feedback since dating back to the spring. And so I think, I think they feel pretty good about where it is Right? I mean, for me personally, like to me, that is still the number one concern. Like that's still the number one position group going into the start of a season, but I'm going to be scrutinizing and see how they look because I, I do still think, it's the biggest question mark on this team, but it does seem like uh, Ohio state is feeling better about what it has there than it probably did a few weeks ago.
1: No, I agree with that. And uh, yeah, those questions about Fryer as a pass, protect- uh, pass protector are certainly going to bear out, uh, particularly against Notre Dame, who, you know, has a very creative defense, can do a lot of things there The test of pass protection. Um, you wonder too, uh, how much, you know, maybe you keep extra an extra tight end and extra running back in this year, um, where Case Dover's out as a pass blocker to help assist the O-line a little bit. That can help around, but you you definitely need guys you feel confident in in terms of the pass blocking there. Um and you know, I, I pointed this out last week. You, know, you can always help a center. A center you have two very qualified guards next to him. Um, you're right on the inside. There's always you can always combo block with a center uh, tackles, are. it's much more important for them to be one on great one on one pass protectors. Now they are going up against some great defensive ends in practice. So that might help with the development a little bit there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I always think it's interesting when, uh, Ryan day gets asked an open-ended question during a presser. And then, you know, without being asked specifically about position groups or players, he mentions, who has stood out to him and when he was asked on monday about what had surprised him most during the first couple weeks of preseason camp the first thing he mentioned was the progress on the offensive line and so that's you know kind of where a lot of this stems from of you know believing that you know ohio state really does have genuine confidence in the offensive line right now the second thing he mentioned was the depth of defensive end and i think uh, there's a lot of excitement in the program, not just about JT Two and and Jack Sawyer, but also about Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. I mean, Kenyatta is a guy whose stock has just seemed to have been rising and rising ever since the spring. And then Caden Curry, uh, we heard Jim Knowles talk about him yesterday, uh, Noel's suggesting that Caden Curry is a guy that maybe we see him, you know, play some defensive tackle on passing downs, but he's a guy they could move around on that front to do some different things in passing downs. but they also expect him to be a regular in the base defense, uh, as a defensive end. And so, uh, a lot of excitement about that, both defensive end, uh, Group and certainly, you know, I think the fact that he mentioned both of them speaks to the idea that you know they're battling really hard in camp, and and both sides are are getting their share of wins. Another thing he mentioned uh, in answering that question was how Carnell Tate has continued to impress him, and the buzz around Carnell Tate going back to spring. I mean, it's been it's been constant. It's just continued to grow and. I've been of the opinion that, you know, based on what we saw when Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka were freshmen, that, you know, Carnell would probably only play occasionally this year and kind of build up to playing a bigger role next year. But the way that everybody keeps talking about Carnell Tate makes me think that maybe his role as a freshman is going to be bigger. I mean, maybe it's going to be more like a Garrett Wilson when he was a freshman, where he's going to come in and really have a chance to make a push for major playing time. I mean, I, 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 I'm now at a point, based on what we've heard about Carnell Tate, that I will not be surprised if he's in there in the core rotation as early as week one. And I even, I even think the way that they're talking about him makes me wonder if you know Julian Fleming is going to have to fight for that starting job. Obviously, we know Marvin, Marvin and Emeka are going to uh be you know mainstays out there in the the field but you you have to think you know that the way they're talking about carnell tate that you know julian fleming is gonna have to perform and prove himself if, if he wants to lock down that starting job for sure all year
1: day was certainly beaming about him uh earlier or yesterday and uh you know, I, I think the fact he was a starter in spring over all the second years, lost his black stripe so early. He's every step of the progression he's shown you, uh what he can do. And uh it was one thing, you know, Day pointed to was his maturity, especially after losing his mother, uh tragically earlier this year. Now I, I, I would I don't know if I expect him to be that heavily used in the rotation, just you know, from my end um, this year. They they were beaming about Marvin last uh, his freshman season as well, and uh, you know it didn't really play till the Rose Bowl. He had that big spring game, you know. There was a lot of things for Marvin that year, and Garrett Wilson did find a way onto the field at the end of his freshman year, I think. Uh, but I, I just I don't know if early in the year they're going to. Uh, trust a freshman out there, no matter how mature he is. And, you know, you still have three fantastic wideouts. I don't, I'm still curious. I don't think we've seen what Julian Fleming is fully capable of yet. He's had so many injury struggles and unfortunately maybe had some more this spring, but he's, you know, he's healthy now. And, I think honestly he's he's a secure starter not as much as Marvin and Omeka, of course but I think he's a secure starter in this group. Um that's my perspective obviously I don't know behind the scenes what it looks like and it, it's very possible Carnell is certainly of the caliber that he could demand playing time week, week 1. I just for me I don't expect to see it until the latter half of the year if at all. Um And certainly if guys get injured, he's going to be one of the first names they call upon. I think on the outside, the only person you could make an argument for over him is Jaden Ballard as far as backups go. Um, And I don't know, he might even be on that level or competing with Jaden for playing time um, as as the next guy on the outside. You know, in the slot you have Xavier Johnson, but on the outside, it's kind of him and Jaden right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would just, just based on what we've heard i I would right now predict that Carnell Tate is going to play more than Jaden Ballard. I, I, I agree with you that I think Julian Fleming is going to be the starter. I'm you know I think long term, if Carnell comes out and he looks amazing and if Julian doesn't or if he has more injury struggles, then I think there may come a point where Carnell could force his way into the starting lineup. I don't think that's going to happen right away, but i I do think I think Xavier Johnson is going to apply, and I think it you know it's more. I think it's more likely that Carnell Tate will see regular playing time in a rotation than Jaden Ballard will. That would be my opinion. Yeah, I think no, I think
1: that's a f- totally fine opinion to have based on what we've heard about him. You know, the coaching staff hasn't stopped beaming about him. It's true, but you know, it's it, it's like receiver depth is the least of this team's concerns. Of course, also, <laughs> you know, um, it's 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 nice to have that luxury. Is is what I'm trying to say, I guess. You know, to to have such a talented freshman behind. The definitely the best receiver, probably the best receiver in America, and maybe the number two, the second best receiver in in America, both playing for the same team in Fleming. You know, it's just the embarrassment of riches continues at receiver for this team.
0: Another thing that you know I thought was interesting from Monday's press conference was Jim Knowles when he was asked about you know Cody Simon and C.J. Hicks. He sounds very committed to getting those guys in the rotation this year. Acknowledged that you know maybe it was a mistake not to rotate Tommy and Steele last year uh, because needing to keep them fresh over the course of a full season but maybe some of that fatigue caught up with them at the end of a year and so it does seem like you know if Knowles if to be taking his world and Knowles is a pretty straight shooter so I, I tend to take Jim Knowles at his word but uh, we're, we're gonna see four linebackers play on a more regular basis this year. And, uh, you know, there's of course been a lot of conversation about that Jack position and whether CJ Hicks could be the guy to play that position. And I I thought it was interesting when, when Jim Knowles was asked about Mitchell Melton, because he had, when he was initially, he was initially asked about CJ Hicks playing a Jack linebacker position. And he mentioned Mitchell Melton said they're both doing well. They were both making a lot of plays. But then when he was asked later about Mitchell Melton, he did mention that there had been some consideration about the fact that. Mitchell was starting to look better at defensive end and, and maybe, you know, is, is defensive end going to be his best position going forward? And so not sure how that will all play out, but it does seem like as much as that Jack position could end up being used this year, that there's a definite chance CJ Hicks could emerge as the top guy at that spot.
1: That's I mean that's been my prediction since spring. I think uh, he's he's got such a good skill set for that position. When you look at his athleticism, his burst has been described as different, even by James Laurinaitis, who would who would know as far as a linebacker goes, right? Um, and, and having that quickness is such a weapon off the edge when you're talking about a rusher uh, getting after the quarterback, which is a lot of what that Jack is expected to do. But then also. He was, uh, out of high school, he was considered one of the best cover linebackers in the country as a prospect. You, you talk about the Jack playing either zone, you know, some seams and curls stuff underneath or manning up on a tight end or running backs. Hicks is more than capable of that. I, I think he he could smother a tight end, frankly, uh, in terms of athleticism and running with them and having the strength to contest catches. Uh, I think that he brings a lot of, his skill set's just so good at that jack position. It's not any knock against Mitchell, who's put a lot of time and effort getting back from injuries to try and contribute to this program. But Hicks is just he's also a guy you have to find a way to get on the field. And Knowles has said that at various points this offseason. And that's that's always been a way you could sort of rotating him, like you said. And um, I do think it's important. You know, you talk about Eichenberg played more than ninety five percent, I think, of the defensive snaps last year that mattered, uh, and by the end of the year, he had, you know, his hands were all messed up. You know, we talked about the, multiple defensive players referenced that. You're, Tommy being the stoic man he is, I don't know if he talked about it all that much, but uh, he, uh, it, it's just he, you saw how beat up some of the guys on the defense got last year, and you when you have the depth to get guys in especially against some of your weaker opponents that aren't going to be a huge drop off in quality you, I think you got to use it you know and Simon and Hicks have both earned playing time it sounds like and we we saw Cody Simon I thought filled in admirably uh, in his spots last year he did come in for four three packages and uh, some various other spot duty uh but uh, it's it's just a, it's not just at linebacker in the safeties and the corners too Knowles, all offseason, has seemed much more open to rotating more, rolling more guys through to keep bodies fresh.
0: Speaking of Tommy Eichenberg, he was named as one of three captains. Yes, you heard that right. Only three captains for Ohio State this year. Tommy Eichenberg and Cade Stover are both back in the captain's role for the second year in a row. And the only other captain joining them is Xavier Johnson. And this is certainly a big change for Ohio State because for each of the last 10 years, Ohio State had had at least six captains. This year, only three captains. Now, I certainly would make no argument with the three players who were selected as captains, and I don't think many people would. Uh, the way everybody talks about Tommy and Cade, it's clear that both guys are highly respected leaders on this football team. And Xavier Johnson's a guy who I think uh, is certainly as universally respected as anyone in the Ohio State football program with the journey that he has had from walk-on to becoming a core player, both on special teams and and making an impact on offense. It certainly sounds like his role has the potential to grow this year. And it's clear that he's somebody who is uh, beloved within the Ohio state football program. And so uh, no surprise that those three guys are all captains. Uh, Ryan day said that there was a quote, sizable gap in the voting between those three and everyone else. And so there's two different ways you can look at that on one way. You can look at it and say, well, that means these three guys that shows you how highly respected these three guys are. That they got so much support from their teammates that it was so much more than everyone else. The other way of looking at it could be, well, does that mean that Ohio State has a lack of players who really stepped up into that leadership role? And I I would tend to believe it's more of a former than the latter, and now personally, I think there's probably a lot of people would agree, that like I think having only three captains is probably a good change, just having more clearly defined leaders. I think, you know, you, you think back to one of Urban Meyer's latter years where there were nine captains and it kind of starts to feel like a participation trophy at this point. Like, you know, you get a captain, you get a captain, you know. It's it's like you start when you start, the more that you spread it out, it starts to dilute it a little bit. And so I think Having three guys who are you know, very clear cut choices for captain, I think that makes a lot of sense. I was a little surprised though that, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't a captain. Like I would have guessed I you know, I would have guessed they would have six captains, and I would have guessed that Marvin Harrison Jr., JT Tuamolo out, and Donovan Jackson would also be captains. Ryan Day did mention that some of the guys who were next in the voting were third years. And so those guys probably were all in that mix. And you got the impression that that was part of a calculation that with Cade and Tommy both being fifth-year guys and Xavier being a six-year guys, that they kind of wanted to go with that tighter group of true upperclassmen to lead this team.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I think, you know, three to four is kind of traditionally the number in football, uh, you know, as as used to as we've gotten, you know, the last several years of there being at least six Ohio State captains. There, It's three to four is usually the number you go with. And I, I think that, you know, what Ryan said is there's a, they have a large leadership group. I think there's a lot of veteran presence on this team, uh, even more so than in some years past. But would you have it's those three separated themselves in the voting throughout the off season of, you know, these are the guys that people on the team look to. You have one offense, one defense, and Xavier is kind of a, he's a special team specialist, but also gives you some contributions on offense. Um, and I think that... You know, as far as defining leadership, it's a good thing when you have less to focus on. And it, you know, the captaincy should be an exclusive club at Ohio State, right? It, it's not. I, I didn't. I never liked having nine captains, just personally, because it, it it does dilute the meaning of it. And and personally, as far as like the team's leadership and veteran presence and all of that goes, just generally, a lot of that's going to bear out over the course of the year. I don't think this is necessarily something generally, to read into too much in terms of that, but it, it's, it, it is it, it's just an interesting thing to notice and, and, and kind of ponder about, that, you know, the change to three captains and just how it came about.
0: And, and to some degree, I think having less captains actually helps in terms of encouraging more widespread leadership. Because like, I think if, if I was in that position, if I was a third, fourth year guy who like thought I, I, thought I should be a captain, If you picked six other guys and I wasn't one of them, I'm going to feel more slighted than if you picked only three guys, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. everybody on the team is going to agree. Tommy, Cade, and Xavier deserve to be captains. You know, not that anybody would have said it, but like, I'm sure when there were nine captains, I'm sure there were guys on the team that's like, wait, that guy's a captain? Like, when you have that many captains, I'm sure there's other guys around the room going, man, like, that guy got it and I didn't. I think in this case, I really don't think anybody in that program would argue that those three guys deserve to be captains. No, I would agree with that. It's a very good point, honestly.
1: But yeah, I mean that's it's it is what it is, and uh, they're going to roll forward with three captains this year, and uh, a, a smaller line for coin tosses too, because you know normally you can send up to four out there.
0: Yeah, I was, I was thinking that. I was thinking that, that everybody who tweets about who the game captains are this year, we, we, we don't need to do that anymore because there's only going to be three of them. So it should be the same for you guys every game. So um, <laughs> not but I really think it ever meant anything, who the, the, the captains were that went out there for a the coin toss. But we don't need to do that anymore because uh, we, we've got uh, on, only three of them uh, this year to worry about. Uh, We did a a piece, I think last year we did a whole podcast on it. This year we're just going to do a few minutes on it. But we did a piece for uh, 11 Warriors this past week where I gathered the staff together to rank uh, which games you are most confident Ohio State will win to which game you are most concerned about uh, Ohio State losing and uh the, the rankings came out everybody on staff agreed that youngstown state will be the easiest game of the year they finished number one uh, a tie at number two with rutgers and western kentucky uh being judged as the second easiest wins of the year indiana coming in at number four michigan state Coming in at number five, which I think speaks to uh, some of the cachet that the Spartans have lost over recent years, because uh, there was a time—I mean, there was a there was a span from 2011 to 15 where Michigan State went three and two against Ohio State. So there was a time not too long ago when Mark D'Antonio was there, but michigan state was one of the most feared opponents on the schedule for ohio state but uh, clearly not the case anymore with them being uh, our collective fifth most confident win i think certainly the fact that that will be a primetime game in the shoe with the gray out and the alternate gray uniforms has something to do with that too as you would expect it to be one of the best environments of a year in the shoe for sure uh ohio state's Home finale against Minnesota came in at number six. Uh, Maryland, uh, also a home game, came in at number seven. Uh, Purdue, which we know uh, West Lafayette has been a house of horrors for Ohio State. Purdue coming in uh, only at number eight, even though I think you know, you'd know probably put some of those other teams as better teams from Purdue. The, the history of Ohio State and West Lafayette uh, has that as our fifth most concerning game. And then... Uh, the bottom four on the list, which I think are certainly the games that are likely to define the season, uh, Notre Dame coming in as our ninth most confident win, Wisconsin tenth, Penn State eleventh, and then everybody on staff in agreement, the toughest game of the year is going to be Michigan, which uh, I think that was a pretty obvious choice there. I mean, I mean last year, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I'll cop to it. Last year when we did these rankings, I think I had Michigan as my sixth most confident win because. Uh, I was just of a mindset that oh, there's no way Ohio State's going to lose to Michigan two way two years in a row, especially playing at home. But after watching Ohio State lose to Michigan at home last year, and then knowing that Ohio State has to go to Ann Arbor this year, I, I don't think there's any question that you know that's the toughest game on the schedule for Ohio State. That is the game that's circled on the calendar as uh, the one that Ohio State really needs to win, but it's also uh, going to be the hardest one for Ohio State to win. Andy, you know, you submitted your ballots. What did you think of the ultimate rankings? Any teams that you would have higher or lower on the list? Um, you know, I, I definitely not had any egregious placements on
1: there. I Michigan, absolutely toughest game this year. think... Not- Best team Ohio State will play on the schedule, man. They return a lot. Uh, They had a really good team last year, even if they kind of uh, broke it down against TCU a little bit at the end of the year. Uh, They they're gonna, I think they're gonna be even better on offense with McCarthy uh, in another year in the system. Uh, They have, you know, Donovan Edwards is gonna do a great job at running back. I think they they always have a strong ground game. I I personally put Notre Dame as my second, least confident, um, which ended up a little. I guess uh, I, I was less confident in that win than well, some other people on our staff. Um, I just think that when you're talking, you know, it's what we talked about earlier. The offense has to be in rhythm by that point against a really tough Notre Dame defense, and uh, it, it's it's in the, it's on the road. Uh, that's a really tough college football environment to play in. That, that Notre Dame has a very loud, raucous fan base. You know, the Fighting Irish. It's it's, it's a whole culture thing. You know. Uh, there, it's 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 a big deal, and uh, it's it's a tough test for any new quarterback. Who who who's to say how long? That they'll have been broken in at that point as the guy, right? This this competition seems to be more likely than not, at least going through Indiana week. we, I mean, we talked about all this earlier. How long does the guy get to develop that chemistry and adjust to the nerves that are going to come with playing in that hostile road environment? You know, Penn State third. I think Penn State is a is a team that honestly is capable of winning the whole conference this year. Uh, they have a great outfit and uh, Drew Aller. You know, entering year two is, I think, going to prove himself to be one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Um, And Nicholas Singleton, at running back, man, he's a special talent, too. They've got some weapons there uh, there in State College this year. So uh, I I think Western Kentucky is one I was a little lower on than others. Obviously, one of the most prolific passing offenses in the country last year. But uh, I just don't see it with uh, them having to come to Columbus them uh, having, you know, I, I, they don't have a defense that's capable of slowing down Ohio State. And when you look at the passing numbers too, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, who were they playing, right? Uh, when you're talking about a, non, a uh, non-major, non-Power 5 team, uh, soon it'll be the Power 4. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it just, the, so that's the one I was a little more confident in. Notre Dame's one I was a little less
0: confident in. Yeah, I, I had Western Kentucky as my fourth most confident win behind Indiana and Rutgers. I know that you know, if it were some people put Indiana a little bit lower because of the fact that it is that first game, it is on the road, it is a Big Ten game. I just think, I think this is probably going to be the last year for Tom Allen in Indiana. I think b- b- that program has lost all momentum over the last couple of years. And so, while you know, I, I certainly don't discount the possibility that maybe Indiana makes it interesting for a quarter or two, we saw that. In 2017, when Ohio State had to go there, Indiana actually led at halftime. And then Ohio State, I believe, ended up winning by four course. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana makes it close for a little bit, but I still think that's a game that uh, Ohio State's going to comfortably pull away from. You know, Rutgers, we've never seen Rutgers play Ohio State competitively. And so uh, I, I felt common to put them in the top three. I think mean, I put Western Kentucky four just because I, I do think that passing offense, I think that that is going to be for sure in those first three games, the toughest test for the past defense. And so if Western Kentucky makes things scary for a little bit, it wouldn't shock me. I do think, like you said, I think ultimately Western Kentucky is not going to be able to stop Ohio state's offense and Ohio state should ultimately pull away. But I do think like you it's easy to lump Youngstown state and Western Kentucky together, but I wouldn't do that. I think think Western Kentucky is a good group of five teams. Youngstown State is an FCS team. There's a huge gap there. I mean, Youngstown State, Ohio State should win 70 to nothing. If they don't, that means they probably didn't play well. Like, that's, that, that's just reality. Like, that game should never be close at all. Western Kentucky, they got to they gotta respect Western Kentucky a little bit. They should win comfortably. And, and realistically, when we look at this, this schedule, those first eight games that I mentioned, Ohio State should be able to win all those games comfortably. Youngstown State, Rutgers, Western Kentucky, Indiana, Michigan State, Minnesota, Maryland, Purdue. Now that doesn't mean Ohio State will. I mean, I think you get into that second tier and when you looked at the voting, there were kind of three clear tiers here. Youngstown State, Rutgers, Western Kentucky, Indiana, those are the teams everybody's confident Ohio State will take care of, no problem. Michigan State, Minnesota, Maryland, Purdue, that was kind of that clear second tier. And I think all those teams kind of fall into it where Ohio State definitely should win those games. Ohio State is going to be a clear favorite in those games. Ohio State has no excuse to lose those games. But if a couple of those games end up being close, it's not going to be shocking. I don't think it, it's out of a question that any of those games could be dangerous for Ohio State. And so you know, I think that's kind of your clear second tier on the schedule. And then it's really those, those last four games Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan. Those are the games that are really the ones to watch for Ohio State this year. And I personally had Wisconsin and Notre Dame flipped in mind. I had Notre Dame as my ninth confident win. I had Indiana as my, or I had Wisconsin, excuse me, as my 11th most confident win. And I completely agree with you on Penn State. I think Penn State is a real threat to win the Big Ten this year. I will not be surprised at all if Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State all end up going 11-1, and and that could be very interesting, <laughs> and that might be something we talk about next week when we're more making our predictions for the season, but I put Wisconsin below Penn State because Ohio State's going to have Penn State at home. It's their only really big home game of the year, so you got to think oh, Ohio State's going to be up for that one. you know, you got to think Ohio State's going to uh, bring its best foot forward for that game and you know, Ohio State has beaten Penn State every year since that, you know, 2016 game, but is well remembered and so. Wisconsin's the game to me that, you know, if you're, if you're looking at like a, the trap game, I don't even know. I think, I, I think Wisconsin's probably too good to even really call that a trap game, but I think that's the game to me. I look at it. It's one week after the Penn state game. And so, you know, if things go according to plan, Ohio state could be riding high, coming off a big win. Now they've got to go on the road somewhere. They haven't played in seven years to go play a Wisconsin team that I think is going to be better this year with a, new head coach and Luke fickle who would certainly love to make as much as he may love the Buckeyes from his time playing for them. I think he would love to his first season at Wisconsin to have a statement win over his alma mater. And so that's the game to me that I look at and it's like that, that's a, that's a, that's a dangerous game coming one week after Penn state. That's, that's a dangerous game. I, I think Penn state's a better team than Wisconsin. Notre Dame might be a better team than Wisconsin, but that's just the game that I look at and say, that's a game that if Ohio state doesn't get up for the second week in a row, if they, if they aren't able to bring the same level of intensity, that they're going to need to beat Penn state one week before that's a game that could be dangerous for Ohio state.
1: Yeah. I I had Wisconsin as my um, fourth least confident uh, behind uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Penn State. I have, you know, I, I definitely, for one thing, I'm really excited to cover that game. I've never been to Camp Randall. Same here. Um, you know, there you go. See, and uh, that's, I mean, that that's something, you know, I as far as Big Ten Stadiums go, um, I, you know, I've only got four to check off. It'll go back, you know, so this will bring it down to three. Then it'll go back up to four because I've been to UCLA Stadium, the Rose Bowl, just haven't been to the Coliseum. Well, it's going to go up to six. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oregon, Washington. Shoot. I almost <laughs> forgot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the uh, I, I I I don't have as much concern about that as others. You know, it's the, like I said, it was my fourth least confident. But, you know, you talked about tier one, tier two, tier three. I kind of put that in a tier two game. I, I just, you know, they Wisconsin, you know, they got a great transfer quarterback. Braylon Allen's still there. Luke Fickle's a good coach. All that I get. There was such a flux of talent in the offseason. I mean, they they got a lot from the transfer portal. They didn't really have a good recruiting class of freshmen to fill in. It's there was just, when there's so much change in a program. I always think it takes a year to settle in, unless you're. Urban Meyer or someone like that. And you're in a program who has those tools in place, who has the talent ready to go. Anyway, you're you're bringing on a lot of transfers. You're bringing in a lot of new pieces. It's a whole new offense that Wisconsin hasn't run before under Phil Longo. I just think there's too much change in that program for them to truly be competitive. i wouldn't be surprised if they kept it close in the first half, just nature of a road environment, big game for Luke Fickle. But I see Ohio State ultimately winning that game by at least three scores. For just That's just for me.
0: <laughs> a few other miscellaneous items before we get out of here. Ohio State landed a five-star defensive end on Tuesday night as Edric Houston, a five-star defensive end from Georgia, committed to Ohio State. Certainly a very important get for the Buckeyes after they, they missed out on Dylan Stewart. They missed out on Marquise Lightfoot. Uh, I think this was a, a recruitment that Larry Johnson really needed to win, uh, getting Edric Houston. And certainly someone now pairing with Justin Scott in the 2024 class as five-star defensive tackles uh, are the kind of players that, uh, Larry Johnson need to get in this class. Uh, of course, you know, they've got JT Tuamolaw and Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall all going into their third year. Uh, there's the potential for all those guys to be playing in the NFL a year from now. So after a couple classes that were a little bit light on talent compared to the Ohio State standard uh, for, for defensive linemen, uh, very important for uh, Larry Johnson to land another five-star defensive lineman in this class.
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I this almost this was almost a must get. I mean, Larry is very selective with his guys. He doesn't seem to cast a very wide net each year. He's more pick a few and really develop a strong bond with with those guys. I, you know, this they <laughs> they didn't have a whole lot of other targets at defensive end. You know, after they lost out on Lightfoot, lost out on Stewart, but the, I mean, if Justin Scott and Edric Houston are the only two you get. Even, I mean, that's a, (laughs) those are two phenomenal prospects. I mean, you look at what Edric brings you off the edge. Justin is among the best D tackle prospects I've ever seen. Um, and just uh, so explosive and big and athletic in his size. I, I, you, you have two home runs there, and it'd be, it's definitely would be nice to try and fill in some depth, get another tackle, get another in in this recruiting class as far as the defense goes. And also, you know, you're kind of lacking at safety right now when you look at, you know, missing out on K.J. Bolden. Jalen McClain's, you know, a solid prospect, but you you don't, he's the only one. And, you know, corners, they got some big, nice, you know, Bryce West and Aaron Scott's a fantastic call along with Miles Lockhart. You, so this was a huge win because Ohio State, you know, the narrative has been on the recruiting trail. They keep bringing in great offensive classes defense has had some misses and this especially on the defensive line after what happened last year with you know missing on the three big targets at the end of the year um Damon Wilson and 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 those those three um you you needed a big win at defensive end and uh this was certainly one for Ohio State
0: yeah and there have still been some misses i mean again why is the defensive line class and the safety class Thinner than you'd like it to be because they went all in on Dylan Stewart and KJ Bolton and they didn't land either of them. So you know mm-hmm. they they have been casting definitely a narrower net. I, I think some of that is if if they can't get a third defensive lineman that they really want or a second safety they really want, they'll go looking in the portal next year. Because I mean Ryan Day was just asked about it on Monday about you know does he feel like he's hit a home run with the the, the portal additions that they made this year, and he indicated that he has. And so I think. They're purposely narrowing their focus a little bit on the recruiting trail right now, knowing now that they they, they they can go get portal talent later if they need to. And I think that calculus has maybe changed a little bit from where it was a couple years ago to where if you feel like you'd be settling on taking a recruit, maybe you're better off going and getting some immediate help from a portal instead.
1: Yeah, no, it's and it's been interesting to see how Ohio State's portal tr- strategy has changed over the years. And this is, I mean, Nigel Glover adding, uh, adding him so early on in his career is something I haven't seen a lot of from Ohio State in the past, right? Willing to go get a guy that you know isn't going to play this year. But could be a piece for down the road is is another thing that you know you might see Ohio State start to do more of and I think this year has really been day opening up his transfer portal
0: strategy and willing to go get more players than he has in the past. And some big news for at the university level for Ohio State on Tuesday, Ted Carter who was the president of Nebraska is going to be Ohio State's new university president on january 1st so some big 10 flavor there ohio state staying within the big 10 and you know i was at his press conference on tuesday and from what i've heard he is a big sports guy Uh, he actually played hockey at uh, the naval academy uh and he uh, had an integral role at nebraska of bringing in uh, matt rule as football coach of bringing in trev alberts as athletic director and so uh we know uh from a from a presidential level there's a lot of other uh things that you know he has to deal with beyond just sports but when you're the president of ohio state you have to care about sports Uh, We've seen in the past that presidents who who care about sports have typically done better at Ohio State and been more popular uh, with the community uh, than the ones who maybe didn't care as much about sports. And it it seems like uh, Ted Carter with his history is someone who checked that box of being a president who is going to be invested in ensuring that Ohio State uh, continues to be elite athletically.
1: Yeah, he played hockey while well in the Navy. Uh, his call sign, you know, as a fighter pilot, was uh, Slapshot. Uh, very fun uh, little side bit of info for for those who might be interested. Uh, went through Top Gun school, so uh, Tom Cruise fans out there, I'm sure rejoice in this hire. A guy that we'll, we'll see. You know, it's it's there's a lot more reach that a university hasn't president has than the football program. Uh, arguably, you know, that's it's not the top priority even at ohio state where football is so important and feeds so many other avenues of the university um but it's uh definitely still has as a hiring that impacts the rest of um ohio state athletics because he's going to have a say in who the next athletic director is uh, you know just first and foremost there and also going to have a say in you know where university dollars go where the focus goes um so it's it's something to pay attention to is if you're just an Ohio State sports fan but if you're a fan of Ohio State the university is a, a, in a greater it's a, it's a, you know it's a day of transition and a day of change and we'll see how he acclimates to the new job
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, not just in terms of the athletic director change, but this is also somebody who's now going to, well, he already was because he was a president athletic director. He was a president at Nebraska, but he's going to continue to be an influential voice in future Big Ten expansion talks. And and he had actually said back in, in May, I believe, that he thought that there could potentially be a domino effect. In the Pac-12, if someone was to leave and you know if that happened, the Big Ten would likely expand again, and so he saw that coming. Uh, I asked him on Tuesday if he thought uh, there would be more expansion, and 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 he said he quote can't know that, but he did say back in May that you know he mentioned the possibility of a domino effect in the ACC, and we have seen some. Uh, ACC schools potentially looking for their way out of that conference. So uh, this is somebody who's certainly in tune with uh, the idea of realignment in college sports and someone who is now uh, was already an influential voice and is going to only become potentially even more of an influential voice nowadays for president Ohio State.
1: Right, this isn't the '90s anymore. Nebraska doesn't quite carry the
0: same weight at a football
1: table as Ohio State does. Uh, No offense to the Nebraska fans who might be listening to this Ohio State podcast, but uh, you know, in in the modern day of college football, Ohio State's brand is is one of the more recognizable out there. And then, you know, as he will, as the
0: sports influence he carries now grows. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. Before we uh, step out here, certainly want to send our best wishes out to Ohio State wrestler Sammy Sasso, who was uh, shot on friday while in the university district uh fortunately uh sounds like he is on the men he is expected to make a full recovery and you know andy i know you're a guy who's followed the wrestling team closely certainly uh sammy has been a fantastic member of that program for the last four years and he's got another year of eligibility and so hopefully uh, he'll be able to make a full full recovery and we'll be able to see him on the mat again for the buckeyes
1: yeah, uh, he's a guy who, I mean, he's always in the national title contention. You talk about the on the mat stuff, you know, um, finished runner up before. Um, and uh, they believe if I believe, if memory serves, I think the top guy who's won the national championship multiple years in his division is act- is uh, out of eligibility as of last year, Yandi Diakamahalis. I'll have to check on that. I, I'm not 100% certain on that fact. But You know, uh, you just feel for Sammy and was a guy who always carried himself with grace and candor when I had the chances to interview him. Um, You know, you only get to have brief interactions with these guys. You know, you you don't see him outside of the sporting arena. But, um, you know, someone who was, again, just you really feel for the guy and who always treated me with kindness. So um, definitely heart goes out to Sammy and I'm glad he is, you know, in good condition now.
0: Yeah, Diakamahalos is out of eligibility. And so uh, certainly, hopefully, Sammy will be able to make a full recovery and he'll be able to uh, compete for that title in his final year of eligibility. Uh, But that will do it for this week's show. It's game week next week. So we will be back uh, to not only preview the season opener against Indiana, but also uh, preview the 2023 season as a whole, maybe make some predictions for how the season will play out. And of course, uh, discuss all the other news that could potentially come out. Maybe we'll know who the starting quarterback is. Maybe we won't, but either way, we'll be here to discuss it once again next week. So thanks for listening in as always. And we'll catch up with you on game week.